Hello and welcome to episode 96 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you, Jacob? I'm, I'm all right. And it was a kind of a quiet week for the Blue Jays, but you know, hopefully, hopefully we got a big week ahead of us with these, uh, hopefully some free agent signings. Yeah, no kidding. We expected it to be a big week because it was a winter meetings. It seemed like everything was building towards the Blue Jays or really any team actually finally doing something. But the winter meetings came and went. We had a few Rule 5 draft picks taken from the Blue Jays. Blue Jays picked one in the minor league Rule 5 draft. They claimed one guy off waivers. But besides that, it's been pretty much dead quiet on the Blue Jays front. On the general MLB free agent front, we saw James McCann signed with the Mets, $40 million. Um, but besides that, again, it's been pretty much dead quiet, not much happening, even though the winter meetings came and went this week. So um, let's start off with what I just mentioned, James McCann, because obviously it's not directly related to the Blue Jays, but the Mets signing James McCann mean they're, means they're no longer in on JT Real Muto, and that, of course, opens up an opportunity for the Blue Jays. We've talked about JT Real Muto before. I don't think any of us are really confident or, or high on the Blue Jays signing him, but, of course, the Mets signing McCann means that the Blue Jays are one of the only remaining teams on the market that could have an interest in Real Muto. So, knowing this, um, what do you guys think about this? Do you think the Blue Jays should pursue Real Muto more now that we know he's probably going to come at a cheaper price now that two teams are in on him? Um, what do you think? Uh, for JT Real Muto, it, it's interesting because when you look at it, um, at first when we first brought this up, it didn't seem like the interest level in him was actually that high. It was kind of like something that we mentioned. And then, of course, um, the Mets came involved, uh, became involved. And then, of course, the Phillies are also trying to re-sign him. But, again, the the changing or the big change of this offseason to begin with was when Steve Cohen bought the Mets. Because, essentially, the Mets could outbid anybody they want, depending on who they want. And in this case, it seems like they chose James McCann over JT Realmuto. And now when you look at it, it's either he goes back to the Phillies... And um, now the Jays are also being mentioned as another potential suitor. And I don't think I've seen many other teams that have kind of been thrown in the sweepstakes for him, which is, which is really uh, interesting because, again, we've, we had a whole topic on this, um, I think it was a couple weeks ago, maybe even almost a month ago now, where we were talking about the Blue Jays' depth at catcher and how they have a lot of depth at catcher and they could easily trade away uh, maybe a few of the of those assets for something else. And um, in that case, you can always have JT Riomuto come. But um, from what I remember too, when we were talking about this, I don't know how high all of us were really on for uh, having JT Riomuto possibly join this team or, you know, the interest level in us for him joining this team. But we, we know what he brings. He's a solid catcher and um, his mark, sorry, his market as well is something that, um, uh, it kind of confuses me because I really don't know what his market really is. For James McCann, he's he's getting forty million dollars in four years, so like, that kind of gives maybe maybe gives you a little bit more of an idea of what JT could get. Um, but I, I, again, you know, we were talking about this last week with the Lindor trade, and Jacob, you were saying how they should be focusing on other assets or other priorities at this time. And um, I guess you can kind of relate it to the infield because the Jays have a lot of assets to this. And they have a lot of assets at catcher, so you know a lot would wonder if signing JT Realmuto would be 
you know, something that they actually need, even though uh, we, we've debated about this. But that's this kind of supports your point as well, Jacob. And Mark, I believe you were on this side as well. So that's why uh, I'm kind of skeptical about JT Riomuto. But I think I would, again, at the end of the day, I would take him. I just don't know what his market is. And, um, you know, the more and more I'm looking at Twitter, the more and more it, look, it seems like George Springer is going to go to the New York Mets from what I'm seeing. So, you know, the possibility of the Jays coming up empty-handed, um, it's something that I still think won't happen, but it's also something that I'm kind of starting to freak out about a little bit because uh, they've already missed, you know, you know, I guess a lot can change with George Springer, but if they miss out on him, they miss out on Rio Muto, and like those are a couple of pretty big names that the Jays were supposedly in on that they came up empty-handed with. So that's the one thing that kind of worries me. But, you know, I think he would fit here. The question is, if you brought in JT Romuto, who do you get rid of? Do you get rid of someone like Alejandro Kirk? Or do you get rid of someone like Danny Jansen? Or, you know, somebody else. But that gives you three catches right away. And in a normal season, uh, you don't need three catch three catchers. Unless, who knows how the next season roster will look like unless you have another taxi squad. But in a regular way or like in a normal season, you don't have three catchers. So that's the one thing. A move would have to be made. Um, from the current assets of the Jays if they brought in JT Riomuto. But uh, I still think the Jays would definitely be in on it. I don't think... I just feel like they're not aggressively, you know, interested in that, in him in particular. But I could be... Obviously, I could be wrong, but it's just my feeling of what I've seen on, you know, or what I've seen around this team so far on social media. But um, we'll see what happens. But again, at the end of the day, if they end up signing JT Riomuto, it's another thing where I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I'm going to be honest... You mentioned the Francisco Lindor situation, and I think that's honestly the same thing. I mean, JT Realmuto is a good player. Uh, he would benefit the Blue Jays, but is that necessarily what they need? I mean, Alejandro Kirk, he came up, I think it was in September or l late August, and he was he was really good for the time that he was here. Uh, the, one of the issues with Danny Jansen, unfortunately, is his bat has struggled uh, throughout the last couple seasons, last two full seasons that he's played, but... Still, I don't think the Blue Jays are necessarily willing to give up on him because we've seen what he can do with uh, guys like Hunjin Ryu, and he, he's good behind the plate. It's just, you know, the offense just needs some improvement. Um, but again, I, I, I don't think that the Blue Jays are really going to go and get somebody that they technically have guys that can take over. I mean, we saw last year Reese McGuire, he struggled, uh, and then he, you know, we saw with uh, Caleb Joseph and then Alejandro Kirk, they came in and take his, took his role. Uh, but Still, I don't think that this is necessarily going to be something where the Blue Jays, you know, they had the money. I think they could sign him. Uh, you mentioned that $40 million deal for James McCann. I mean, possibly something similar around that. Uh, I think uh, Real Muto made just under $6 million in 2019. So, I mean, possibility. And it's not like the Blue Jays have a ton of money that they're spending this season anyways with most of their core you know, locked up under team control for the next you know, five, six years. But still, I don't think just because you have the ability to sign a guy like JT Realmuto, you do it. I mean, again, like you, like you said, Bryson, if he's a good player, and I don't think that I would necessarily be against him as a Blue Jay. I think he would be a good player, but I don't think that, you know, going into an acquisition that that's necessarily the best thing just because, you know, like I said, the Blue Jays have catchers and I've mentioned this so many times with the last couple of weeks there are aspects of the team that need improvement and if they don't improve then I will question them going into the season and 
you know, I just, I would like to see them kind of focus on that. And I mean, I've said that so many times throughout the last couple of weeks, but it's still, it is true. I don't think just because a lot of these players are available, you should automatically go for them. Yeah, they would might make your team better, but at the same time, there's only so much that you can do to improve one position. You know, you have to have a well-balanced team, and I just, I don't think you know, going out and getting a third catcher is the right move because that what this means is one of them, one of the catchers that the Blue Jays have, one of the three that they have really right now is not going to be with them for the season. You know, whether it's Alejandro Kirk or Reeks McGuire, we know Danny Jansen's going to be there no matter what, whether he, you know, he's the starter or with Real Muto, maybe they split it or he's a backup. But, you know, how do they deal with that? And how do you, how do you watch Alejandro Kirk absolutely tear it up at the end of the season and then just say, okay, too bad, you're you're not going to play just because we acquired somebody. So I, I don't think this is, you know, really what the Blue Jays should be doing. But to Bryson's point, if the Blue Jays miss out on George Springer, let's say George Springer goes to the Mets as what seems like the most likely possibility now. Of course, the Blue Jays still involved. Let's say, you know, DJ LeMahieu, we've heard that the Yankees are about $25 million short of what LeMahieu wants. Um, he wants a five-year, $100 million deal. Yankees are offering a four-year $75 million deal. Maybe the Blue Jays can jump in there, sign him. But for the sakes of this argument, let's say LeMahieu signs with the Yankees. Like I said, Springer signs with the Mets. The Blue Jays kind of miss out on all the big names that they're looking at. Then do you think the Blue Jays should be willing to sign Real Muto? Because then it's like he's the only high-impact player left, right? So if they miss out on the other guys, are you willing for the Blue Jays to take Real Muto? I'm going to be honest, I think the biggest issue with the free agency situation and just the offseason in general is the fact that the Blue Jays were, I think, way too vocal about who they wanted to, to sign, uh, or at least, you know, the fact that, you know, they said they wanted a high-impact player, and that's great, but I think one of the, the issues with uh, saying you're interested in so many guys is the fact that if you don't sign all those players that you say you're interested in, then people are going to say, well, why'd you, you know, why'd you say that you're interested in them? Uh to your question about do I think they should sign him if they don't get other guys, I mean, you make a good point. It does make sense. You know, if you say you're interested in all these players and then you don't get anybody, then it's a little bit questionable if you were actually interested in anybody or you're just saying that. But I don't think that necessarily if you, you, they don't get George Springer, they don't get a pitcher, well, they need a pitcher, but if they don't get all these other players that they don't technically need but could benefit from, I, I don't know if going out and signing James McCann would be, the, or JT Realmuto uh, would be the best decision, just because, you know, from a media perspective, like I said, they've, they said they wanted to get all these players and then they don't get them, but at the same time, you know, going and getting somebody just because you didn't get other guys might not be the best decision. I think if you're going, if, say they miss out on all these guys, I think they should then focus on who they who they absolutely need. So that, it's just kind of uh, just kind of a weird situation where the Blue Jays are, you know, they, they have guys that they've been looking at, but if they don't get anybody, I don't know if necessarily going out and getting whoever's left is probably the right decision just because, again, this is a position at, at catcher where they have a lot of players. So just going out and getting somebody because they didn't get other guys might not be the best uh short-term solution and long-term you never know what uh, Danny Jansen or Reese McGuire or even Alejandro Kirk might do this season so I think kind of just leave it as it is if if there's a a, a situation where they can 
get him and it makes sense, then sure. But I don't think necessarily just because they missed out on other players that they should, you know, automatically just go for Real Muto just just to say that they signed someone. It just, yeah, for me, it's it's a tough one because when you relate it to what we spoke about last week, it's the fact of upgrading your team. And when you look at the Jays' current depth chart, yes, they have a lot of, see you, Mark. Uh, yes, they have a lot of catchers. They have a lot of good catching depth. And then when you want to bring in someone like JT Riomuto, uh, it makes it better. For sure it does. But then you have to sacrifice one of the other assets you have. And then obviously because of the depth chart and obviously because of the money. Because the money is obviously uh, the interesting part in this. Because what he would come here for, I don't know. And again, what his market will end up being, I still don't know. But the McCann signing does give us a little bit more of a um, kind of like a heads up or kind of like a understanding of it. But that's, Mark, I don't know. I know you mentioned you like my point there, but I just... I'm starting to wonder, like, I just, I don't know. And even Jacob, you, you had the bold prediction last week if they'd come up empty-handed. I'm I'm not liking it so far. I'm not going to lie to you because I just, I'm seeing the Springer rumors. Um, the Mets are spent pretty much looking like they're going to buy everybody, which is scaring me a bit. And when I look at it, like, you, you can't come up empty-handed after what you got, what they've said all offseason. You got you to gotta bring in at least one, two pieces that are pretty big. And that's the word, and I'm sure they're trying to do it. I just... It, it just worries me because if they want to be that conservative and say, okay, well, we're, we're loaded on this side with depth. We don't aggressively, we're not going to actively pursue you because we don't need you because we have Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk. What happens if Rio Muto, let's say, goes back to the Phillies? What happens if Springer goes to the Mets? What happens if all these plan A options don't come here? That's the one part where I'm starting to look at it. And it's just, I don't know, because that, of course that would... It's a way too early to tell because, again, no free agents have really signed. So it's just me, you know, being a little bit worried because I think I just I feel like the Mets are stealing the show right now. And it's not necessarily a good thing if you're a Jays fan because of how m- much money they are going to spend. And pretty much they're aggressive or they're act, they're interested in the exact same uh, players as the Blue Jays are because, you know, they, they want Rio Muto or at least they, they say they do. The Springer is for sure a lock of who they want. And now it just seems like, from what Bob Nightingale said, he just seems like, it just seems it's going to be surprising if Springer goes anywhere other but the Mets. And that, you know, in that case, the Jays would seriously need someone like George Springer if they want to improve their outfield. But that's the one thing. And I know, like you said, Jacob, you, you're saying how they need to aggressively pursue other positions where they don't necessarily have the better depth. But that's just what I'm worried about. If you're going to play this, you know, conservatively and still wait back and say that, what happens if you miss out of all these names and spring training comes and you you're looking at the exact same roster as you did at the end of last year, barring any free agents that you lost or free agents or people that you brought back that were on the team last year? That's the one thing I have to I'm worried about a bit. But uh, we all know that JT Realmuto would make this team even better because Danny Jansen, we know what he brings. Uh, he's not necessarily the best hitter, but he's very good defensively. And someone like Hunjin Ryu loves pitching to him himself. Alejandro Kirk came in around late September, and he tore it up in his week or two weeks at the MLB level. I'm sure his defensive game is still maybe an area of improvement, but he can hit. And there is a reason why this team's high on him, is this guy was DHing playoff games because of his bat. So that's the one problem. You have one good defensive catcher. You have one good catcher who can hit. And um, that, but of course, you have a lot of depth. So that's just what worries me, though. If they say this, 
that you we don't need Kadras because we have these guys. We don't need Lindor because we have these infielders, even though the Lindor is a little different in this one. But what happens if you say that and you come empty-handed? That's the only question or fear that I have right now. Yeah, I think that's honestly a concern that I have too. I think, like I said, I th- one of the biggest kind of takeaways, if I could if I could sit down with Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, I would say relax with how vocal you are because, you know, I, I think it's great that they say we have all these plans, we want to you know acquire all these players, but at the same time, they've kind of built up the hype to kind of say, hmm, we're, you know, we're going to completely redo the roster. We're going to have so many additions to this team that we're going to be so good in 2021. And I, I'm, as a fan, I, I'm not against that, but I think one of the issues is that when you say you're going to have so many players uh, brought in and then you just don't get anything or get any of them, or you have some type of signing that's a little bit underwhelming uh, relative to the expectations, you kind of, you question it a little bit. And I think I, I, the plan was probably to bring in some high impact players. But I think, again, if you say you're interested in everybody, but you only really need certain players, then it's kind of this weird game of, well, why would, you know, why would you say you're interested in a catcher, but you, you know, you're fond of the catchers you have. I, again, I think Bryson said this last week, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement, but there's only, uh, so much improvement I think that you know one specific position can get and uh, trust me I think all these players that the Blue Jays have been interested like Lindor like Real Muto I think they would benefit the team especially even George Springer but again it's just I don't know I feel like the the issue was them kind of getting our hopes up for something that might have not necessarily been as likely as we expected I'm gonna restate my confidence in the Blue Jays. I still think they're going to get that high-impact player that they're looking for. Or, in the words of Mark Spiro this week, he said either two high-impact players or four uh, very good players, I think is the way he put it. So maybe not, even if they miss out on a guy like Real Muto or Springer or Bauer uh, or LeMahieu, maybe they come out and they get a Colton Wong and they get a Jake Odorizzi and they get, you know, players around that that tier. So I'm not concerned. I think the Blue Jays will not totally strike out this offseason. I think they will get the players that they're looking for, um, or at least players that can improve this team. But what I am concerned about um, as time goes on and as more players sign with different teams is that the Blue Jays will get desperate. Because I feel like, like you said, Jacob, with the impression that they've given so far this offseason, they can't really afford to lose out on a high-impact player or a very good player. They kind of have to make a deal at this point, whether it's a signing or a trade, to get a really good player. And if they don't, uh, in my view, this offseason will be seen as a a total failure. So they kind of have to do that, and I think they will do that. But my concern is that they're either going to overpay in free agency or give up too many prospects and too much internal talent in a trade. And I think this comes back to our conversation about Francisco Lindor last week. Maybe it comes back to... DJ LeMahieu, as I mentioned, the conversation of the Yankees and LeMahieu at $75 million. He wants $100 million. Maybe this comes back to Real Muto. Um, I think there's a risk now that more names are being taken off the board and more names are seemingly being linked to the Mets and other teams that the Blue Jays will end up uh, making a mistake in that they panic and pay too much for a player. 
I don't know what they can do to avoid this because they've set the table now, right? They've they've made their bed and now they have to sleep in it. And the fact that they've said that they're going to be so aggressive, they don't really have a choice now. They kind of have to be that aggressive and make those moves that they've said they would. Um, so I don't know if there's a solution now for the Blue Jays um, besides being overly aggressive. But I hope they don't. I hope that our impression of the way the market is right now is mistaken. I hope that they can eventually get George Springer. I would be very happy if they got Springer um, and and some other names, as we've mentioned, Wong, um, uh, Jake Odorizzi, that kind of thing. Yeah, we haven't heard much about um, Wong, I guess, in the past couple of weeks, but we do know the Jays would be interested in him too. And um, yeah, I just like you, I just it's a hard one because, like you guys said, it's just that all the hype that has gone on to this offseason about we're going to be aggressive, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to be aggressive, and if you come up empty-handed, it is a failure. We we've all, um, yeah, it's it's pretty simple to do that. It's just it's hard because the free agency in Toronto, it's always been a difficult. Which is you know, Mark, you said overpay. You know, you have to overpay if you want to cut people to come here. And Mark, Ross Atkins has already said on interviews he's admitted that players are already questioning about where they're going to play at home. Is if if that like that's a disadvantage right now. It is, and, and there's nothing you can do about it, but. It just the Jays are somewhat behind the eight ball in this, but they're still in it. They're not like again. They haven't nobody's signed yet. It's just the rumblings around uh, baseball right now. Of course, the Jays can still come in out of nowhere and steal George Springer from someone like the Mets, um, and then you know whatever JT Romuto can still come here. They can still possibly trade for Francisco Lindor, um, but it's just it's something that it's easily can change in these past couple weeks, but. You're, everyone's starting to get the sense that it's starting to heat up now. The off season, we're getting, I think we're getting pretty close to signings happening with all these rumors and the winter meetings uh, being last week virtually. I just, you know, teams are having more conversations, and um, I just feel like we're getting a better read from the market. And the first domino yesterday was James McCann, so that sets the market for the catchers. And then George Springer or the outfield would be next, and then of course Trevor Bauer has to sign. He's still teasing Toronto, uh, which is cool, but. <laughs> Anyways, I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be cool. And um, it's just, they're still in it. It just feels like they're, they are behind the eight ball a little bit with that, which is why, you know, and, and to get superstars here, historically, you have to trade for them or draft them most of the time um, because of the free agency, because of how difficult it is. And Mark, like you said, well, to begin with, they have to overpay no matter what, no matter what. But Mark, like you said, if they get desperate, there's going to be a point where they could possibly overpay like significantly where to the point where you look at it and you wonder if it was worth it no matter how many years or the term or the dollar amount it's it could happen and you know this front the one thing about this front office that we have seen though in these five years or sorry yeah five years coming now is that they aren't totally they are pretty conservative and I think they're smart enough to realize that I just feel like you know they've dealt with the they've dealt with lots of pressure from the, the fan base from the media so it's not new to them but I just the one thing I do have confidence in them is that they wouldn't jeopardize anything um, to to do that. But of course, it is still a fear that you have when you look at it from this right now. If they would get that desperate, because again, I guess it is a possibility they could come up empty-handed. But I still think they're they, they, like you said, they're going to come away with a few names, regardless if it's Lindor, regardless if it's Springer. It's it could be Wong, it could be Odorizzi, like you said. And there's been other names that have been tossed around. So I guess it just comes from you know those top caliber free agents and then of course when you move down your contingencies like Colton Wong or like Jake Odorizzi is players you could end up with it just 
it's just a tough one right now. It just it wasn't necessarily the best week for their rumors on Twitter. Just and it had nothing to do with them. It's just the Mets spending and spending, and that's why it just doesn't feel like George Springer's going to come here anymore. But again, lots can change, and they could come out of nowhere and potentially steal him away. But the overpaying is an issue right now, and it could get even worse if they get desperate, like you said, because if they see all these names slowly disappear, um, it's it could get a little bit nerve-wracking for them because of all the talent they could have had. But we'll see what happens. And um, like I said, there's only really been one big signing now, which is James McCann, and there's still more to come. And uh, it just feels like as we head into Christmas now into the new year, it's starting to pick up, and we'll see what happens. But I still have trust that they can pull something off, whatever it is, how many it is, I think they can get something done. So I guess I'm still going to have faith, but a little bit freaked out. I'm starting to freak out just a little bit, but not too much. So one name that the Blue Jays were mentioned in this week, as slow as it was, was Liam Hendricks, of course, formerly of the Blue Jays, um, formerly of the Oakland Athletics, um, one of the top free agents um, on the market in terms of relievers and um, another name that they were mentioned with again after being mentioned with earlier this offseason is Brad Hand. Um, Both these guys would really help with the Blue Jays bullpen. I'm not sure there's much surprise here because they're both great pitchers and they would really really help solidify the back end of the Blue Jays bullpen. Justin Turner is another guy this week that we saw again being reported involved with the Blue Jays although this rumor was a little bit um, more uh, Uh, I I guess more specific um, in terms of the Blue Jays' interest in Justin Turner. Um, They were first connected with him back in November. This second report of the Blue Jays' connection with him um, probably, you know, solidifies the rumors that they're into it. Um, So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on these names. Like, it's more of the same. The Blue Jays are interested in whoever is going to help them win. And these three guys, you know, it's nothing out of the ordinary. The only new name is Liam Hendricks, and that's totally to be expected. So I'm not surprised by these names at all, or the rumors we saw this year, or excuse me, this week, except for the rumor of the Blue Jays um, getting new turf, um, which we'll talk about later. Totally unrelated to the the hot stove and the and the winter meetings. But um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on Hendricks, on Turner, or or on uh, Hand. Well, as for Justin Turner, I, I mean, again, I keep saying this about pretty much every position player. You know, it would be nice. I think he's a good player. He would benefit the Blue Jays. But, again, I think they're just they're interested in everybody, and I don't know if necessarily they need to make that move. But Liam Hendricks, uh, when I heard that, I was really interested. I was, back in 2015, I think that offseason when he was traded to the Athletics, I was a little bit upset. I mean, they got... Jesse Chavez in return and unfortunately that didn't I think we can say the Oakland Athletics won that deal uh he was really good last year with the Blue Jays he had a 292 ERA uh, if you remember he was fantastic in that September uh playoff push and even in the playoffs you know when guys like Brett Cecil went down with injuries you know he was good and also in the last two years with Oakland his ERA has been below two each two years and you know with the news of Ken Giles missing the entire season, I think it's fair to say that guys like Rafael Dolis are going to take over the closer role, or at least, you know, that's what I'm kind of projecting. And Liam Hendricks, I think, would be a perfect mid to late inning guy, you know, put him in for one to two innings in a in a critical situation, you know, you're up by a run or two, you know, he would be pretty good. Uh, I think he's just been getting better and better as as he's aging. I mean, he's going into his age 32 season, 
uh, next year. But I don't, I mean, a one to two year deal, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. I mean, it gives the Blue Jays more options. It gives them a very good option, you know, especially, I think it's fair to say that the the fifth starter is going to go to somebody from the bullpen. It's going to be, you know, the third starter, I think, is going to come from the free agent market or a trade. And then the fifth starter is going to be, you know, whoever pitches well in spring training. So there's a guy that you have to consider not being part of the bullpen. So I think he would be a good, a very good pitcher. Uh, if it were up to me, I would sign him 100%. I would acquire this guy. But again, I mean, in the end, it's tough because the Blue Jays are interested, like we've said, in so many players. But I think he would definitely, if I had to pick out of this week's rumors or the last couple weeks, I would say this is a guy that you pretty much should get. Uh, do I think they would be a bad team or not as good without him? I think they'll still be good, but you know, this is an acquisition that I would actually genuinely really, really like to see. Uh, and again, also, he is a pitcher, so I mean, I've not been too eager to hear all these other deals for position players because, again, I think the focus should be pitching. But in terms of an actual pitcher that is fits what the Blue Jays need, I think this would definitely, this is a move that should happen. Yeah, Liam Hendricks is somebody we're familiar with. He's been here, obviously, in two different stints. Uh, two years, and then the past five years, he's he's been in Oakland. And like you said, he's had some impressive numbers in Oakland. In the five years, he's had an ERA just above three. So that's pretty solid when you look at it. And when you also look at it, I guess the bullpen, or anything to do with pitching on this team, and Jacob, I guess you can confirm this because um, you, you would say the priorities. This is the top priority to upgrade on. Am I, like, I'm not, it's not even, a, it's the truth. They do, they're light on some depth. Uh, they lost Ken Giles, like you said. Someone like Dolly, someone like Romano could take over the closing role, but then who's going to pitch where they were last year? They, they need to fill up their depth a little bit. And uh, Liam Hendricks could be a good name. He's definitely a, a name I would take back for sure. He's he's solid. He has, um, like I said, the ERA of three uh, in Oakland. And then with Toronto in, the, in his two different stints, he had an ERA of just under 350. So, again, solid, regardless if he's coming in late and... Um, you know he can be used for many different things. He's been the I think he's been used as an opener opener a few times as well. So I'm sure Charlie Montoya would love that. And uh, Brad Hand, of course, is another one who was lights out last year for Cleveland. And he's another one that was surprisingly I guess released or not. I can't remember if it was non-tendered or released, but he was let go by the club. And um, it just seems that they're heading towards more like a, a retool, a rebuild. The past couple of years, ever since they traded uh, Corey Kluber last off season. So someone like Brad Hand. Uh, would be a great fit here. He was the closer last year, and he he racked up a ton of saves, and he was dominant out of the bullpen um, of last year. So that's someone who I guess we're also we've seen him many times pitch. And uh, to put it in perspective, last year he had um, he had 16 saves in and then a 205 ERA, and he he made 21 or 23 appearances out of the bullpen. So that's pretty impressive for a 60 game season uh, to rack up 16 saves in that amount of time. And, uh, yeah, I just, Brad Hand, I think I've, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I would love him to come here. The Liam Hendricks one's new. So, like I said, I guess it's good that these, they keep having names popping up on their radar. Just as long as they can get a couple of them, no matter who it is, I think it will be a lot better for me. I'll relax a little bit more. But, like I said, it gives me more uh, of an understanding of these names and, I guess, why they're, who they're prioritizing for. And Liam Hendricks and Brad Hand would be great additions to this club. And, of course, it depends on what they're asking for. So we'll see what happens there as well. But um, I like, but again, we're familiar with Liam Hendricks as well from 2014 and 2015, two different stints. 
and um, Brad Hand as well, who's pitched for a few teams now, but he spent uh, he's been in Cleveland for the past three years after uh, the Padres traded him year, a few years ago. So someone who's been in the AL for a long time as well, and someone or both of them who can pitch really well. Yeah, I I don't think anyone will be complaining about Liam Hendricks. He's like we've talked about. He's very 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 good and. Um, I mean, you mentioned him as an opener, Jacob, my one memory of Liam Hendricks specifically when he was with the Blue Jays was in 2014 when he, um, started a game for the Blue Jays against the Cincinnati Reds, um, and gave up six runs in just like two innings of work and the Blue Jays were down 8-0, I think after the second inning, but then they came back and they won that game. Um, and I'm looking at it now, they won it 14 to nine. So that's my memory of Liam Hendricks with the Blue Jays. But, um, yeah, like he's a great player. He would really, really help the Blue Jays. It's exactly what they need. And I don't think anyone is contesting that. I think everyone would be very happy with him getting Hendricks, um, him returning to the Blue Jays or a guy like Brad Hand. Um, of course, a similar type of player who's fantastic out of the bullpen. And honestly, I think if they get either of those, they will be the closer. I, I don't think Rafael Dolis or, you know, anyone that they have in the bullpen is going to um, take that spot. I, I think it's it, it, it goes to the reliever that they get. You know, who knows whether they hold it, whether, you know, Jordan Romano, if he comes out with another fantastic season, maybe he gets a closer role. But I think at least starting off this season, it's going to go to the guy that they're paying big bucks to this offseason. Um, all right. So, like we said, not much going on on the free agent um, and trade side of things, even though we've talked about it endlessly today. Um Let's talk about another thing. I mentioned it earlier, but the new turf at the Rogers Center. Um, Mark Shapiro had a very long interview um, this week, media availability, and basically um, he told us that new turf is going to be installed at the Rogers Center for the 2021 season. Uh, the new surface would have fewer seams in the surface um, than the surface that the Blue Jays have now, and it'll also pose a lower risk of injuring players, um, in addition to having a shock pad underneath it, um, to allow for more true ball bounces. So this is just, it seems like a minor upgrade over what the Blue Jays have now. Um, I wasn't expecting this because we had just heard about how they're going to, they want to demolish the Rogers Center. And then they're like, psych, we actually want to improve it. But I mean, I don't think it's that out of the ordinary. Like I, it's, it's a very minor improvement. It, Probably, I wouldn't imagine it costs more than, I have no idea what, the, maybe like a million or two million dollars. Um, so for the years ahead, if the Blue Jays playing in the Rogers Center 2021, 2022, 2023, it's definitely a worthwhile investment, especially when we see teams kind of replace their artificial turf every few years. So yeah, it kind of caught me by surprise, but it's, it's not out of the ordinary, I would say. I think it's also kind of interesting. We don't even know if the Blue Jays are going to play in Toronto this year because, or next year, I should say. You know, I mean, additions can be made. I mean, even if, say, they're playing in Buffalo again or anywhere else, they could still work on this behind the scenes. And even if they don't play in Toronto, they have it ready for 2022. But I don't know. It's just, first of all, you said the fact that the, the Blue Jays are looking at demolishing the Rogers Center and just completely playing in a different ballpark, which caught me by surprise too i mean it, it's funny how they said you know we want a new stadium and then they say actually we want to you know build upon our already existing stadium which i mean it's not not a bad idea i mean 
again, it's just it's a pretty minor thing. I mean, it's just you know slightly changing the the ground that you play on, but still, I think it is interesting that they kind of made it feel as if you know this is happening for next year, even though you know we might not even make use of it, but or at least in the year coming. But I mean, again, once these border restrictions are are uh, dealt with, you know, I think the Blue Jays will make use of it. Uh, I mean, we know the Raptors are at least starting their season in Florida with the possibility of coming to Toronto uh, later in the season, which will kind of coincide with when the Blue Jays start. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually do play in Toronto uh, and how that works. But even if they don't, I think, you know, this is just still a pretty minor thing that will, you know, they will make use of it uh, up until the potential uh, demolition of their stadium. It's interesting because, like, and I would, Jacob, I was going to say the same thing. Like, it'd be, it'd be, um, how do I say it, like, correctly? It just would be, it'd be interesting to see when the Jays would use this. You know, I'd, I don't want it to collect dust, but it just, I don't know when they're going to be back in Toronto. Who knows? Obviously, they're optimistic, so who who knows what's going to happen there. But, you know, for the people that are saying that with the new stadium plans, it just, this has no connection to it at all. Like, it's turf, first of all. And second of all, um, it feels like this stadium project or idea has probably been delayed a few years now because of the pandemic. So that's the other thing. And then the other thing is if they play at a new site, when Roger, and then they, they still play at Rogers Center when it's building, you, you need a place to play. So that could take up to five, maybe ten more years. Who knows what how legitimately true or uh, Rogers was to come into this uh, to this new stadium idea, but yeah, there's nothing big here. I just from what I from what I remember in 2015, they actually had new turf then as well. They've been using the same turf since then, and I don't know if you guys remember, but I I, I do remember over the the first two games, they um, MLB was like investigating like the the turf at Rogers Center or the new turf because of the the irregular bounces that it was having, and then the the one thing I remember is that game where it was like the first two games, like I said, and like R. A. Dickey was like having a meltdown in the dugout. Because of the turf, and uh, but <laughs> after their first homestand, um, it just they they had to like in, investigate or change it. I don't know. I've, ever since then, we didn't hear about it again. But it was a really bad start for that new turf, and I just remember Ari Dickey flipping out about it. And of course, MLB had to go like and investigate and like analyze it. But like whatever, I just you know hopefully that doesn't happen again when they first install this turf. But according to Mark Shapiro, it's supposed to have like fewer seams and increase the health and safety of the players. So whatever, it's turf is turf, but it has no connection to those who are saying, oh, what happened to the new stadium plans? It has no connection because it's turf, A, and B, it, this is still years away from happening. You still have to finalize this project, and then you have to figure out where you're going to build it, and then you got to figure out how long it's going to take to build it. There's so many uh, things are, that still have to happen, and I think we're still years away from a new stadium. So I think people should relax with that one. And uh, just be happy that we have new turf, regardless if we can use it or not come March or, sorry, come April. So that's another topic for discussion closer to the spring. And uh, But yeah, uh, good for them. They're making upgrades at Rogers Center, which means they can make upgrades to their team now. So there you go. They're on the right track. If I remember correctly, back in 2015, this was when the Blue Jays, uh, their infield only had like little patches of dirt uh, around the the bases. And I remember Buck Martinez during the the month, I think it was April uh, 2015, he said something like, uh, this this new turf might be a very good uh, bunting kind of... It was very good, it was good for bunting because it, the, the ball kind of 
gripped onto the turf or something and it it would it wouldn't uh roll as far as it normally would so there was a lot of a lot of controversy there people were you know bunting a lot and even the blue jays it's their home field but they had to get a, a, they had to adjust to it and i remember even to this day a lot of the times when you see teams that don't typically come to the the rogers center i mean the, i think the dodgers came in 2016 you know you, you see sometimes teams not uh, come over to this field and even away teams that don't typically play here uh, a, a lot of the times it, it was interesting they would have all these weird bounces uh, with the ball and they had to get adjusted uh, to it so it was it was interesting I mean again it is just turf I mean you can easily make an adjustment but you know I do remember uh, all throughout the time that I've been watching baseball there's always been some type of discussion about well, is, is this is this turf good is it allowed and you know it's just I mean again it's an adjustment that'll you know have to be made whenever the Blue Jays are able to play back in Toronto. And looking back at the turf before they added the dirt infield, it gives me nightmares. Like, it's horrific. Oh, gosh. Like, I, <laughs> I never fully realized how bad it looked until it changed, and then you realize how horrible it is. But, yeah, I completely forgot about that incident with the turf. But, yeah, they were, MLB was investigating it and keeping track of the bounces because apparently it was playing super slow in the infield. Um, yeah, it's, I, and I think the turf that they have now is called like astroturf 3d extreme or something like that it's like yeah. an insane name <laughs> but anyways yeah hopefully this is an improvement hopefully we don't have any fiasco with it when it gets put in place whenever the blue jays can play on it but yeah it's nice to see them putting investments into this place even though it might not be part of their long-term plans um speaking of long-term plans for the blue jays this happened in the past week um not much to talk about here but just to mention it um the new affiliates of the blue jays came out um there's four teams that have been invited back to the blue jays um of course the buffalo bisons are staying as a triple a team the new hampshire fisher cats remaining as a double a team of the blue jays um the vancouver canadians who was originally ported uh reported were moving uh, out of the Blue Jays system. They were going to move to Oakland, I believe. Um, they're actually staying with the Blue Jays. They're moving up to high A. Uh, the Dunedin Blue Jays are moving down to low A, staying with the Blue Jays. And then um, the Blue Jays are letting go of the Lansing Lugnuts, um, and they're letting go of the Bluefield Blue Jays. Um, I think that's all the moves. It was a little bit confusing this week, especially with the different reports going around um, that uh, you know, uh, originally reported that the Blue Jays would lose out on, um, Vancouver, but now we know what's happening. Um, it's good to see Vancouver stay in the organization. It sucks to lose Lansing, but, um, it's just part of life. Um, another thing we wanted to talk about, at least a conspiracy theory that I have, um, that I wanted to mention on the record so I could be proven, uh, hopefully correct in the future. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago, Mike Wilner, um, leaving the broadcast booth, um, on Sportsnet 590 the Fan. They've mentioned or it's been reported that they want to replace Wilner with a former player um, who has on-field experience. Of course, there's lots of different former players that could be involved. Maybe Joe Siddle moves back to the broadcast booth. Maybe, you know, John Axford, who's been on TV with, the, with Sportsnet, could move into the broadcast booth on radio. But one name that I personally think is going to get it is Josh Tolley. Uh, we haven't mentioned him in a while on this podcast, but... Uh, we were just talking about R.A. Dickey, but he's been on Sportsnet 590 as, I guess, a guest contributor for a couple days in the past week. Um, Sportsnet has been pushing his 
uh, audio clips on their social media pages. They've been trying to get his face in front of everyone. And I personally think this is a sign that they're testing the waters to see whether he's A, good on the radio, B, whether fans like him and will like him in the broadcast booth. So it's just a personal conspiracy of mine, but I think that it's not a coincidence he has suddenly returned to the Toronto market at the same time that there's a radio vacancy. So just want to put that out there. Yeah, I, honestly, you know what? I, I would not be against watching Josh Tolley or listening to him talk, at least. It's, he was a guy uh, that I actually really liked as a player. Uh, he, he was, you know, he had a specific role. He was R.A. Dickey's personal catcher, but I liked him. And it, it would be interesting to see him play or to to talk on the radio. I think one of the interesting things is as we're starting to get older, you know, we started watching baseball, you know, maybe close to a decade ago. And all of the, the broadcasters, I'd always heard, you know, these were former players. And I mean, I see this again with uh, TSN, with you know a variety of other, uh, uh, the other sports teams that I watch. But it's definitely interesting as, you know, you're starting to, to get older and all these players that you once actually watched are starting to actually start calling games. And you see John Axford this year, you know, that was interesting. I, you know, I, it was cool to see him. You know, I always hear guys like Buck Martinez, Pat Tabler, they played baseball. Obviously I was, you know, not around when they played, but you know, to kind of see guys that I watched as a kid now calling games, that would be pretty interesting. Uh, I'm a, I'm not against that. I think it's a definitely a cool uh, theory. And if he, you know, if he is definitely, if he is picked to join Sportsnet in some way, I would, I would be a big fan of that. I would like it. Yeah, um, like Mark, it's not. It is a good conspiracy theory because I like it, but I I think it's actually more possible than a, a theory because it just feels like that's what happens when this sort of thing happens in sports media. Is that you know the more you start bringing this guy in, the more you start getting the idea that it could be ha- like there's interest there. And from what I remember, is the year um, I believe. It, it was either 20, I, I don't remember the exact year, but it was three or four years ago now, where when Greg Zahn was re, re, or let go by Sportsnet, there was that whole bunch, there was a bunch of rumors going on from that time that JPR and CBA was going to join Sportsnet. And then all of a sudden when the Winterfest came, JPR and CBA was like all of a sudden signing autographs and be, near, and he was near the team. So no, who knows what happened there if maybe he wanted more from, I don't know what happened there, but he ended up going somewhere else. I think he was, yeah, he was, um, an analyst for Yahoo Sports or something like that. I don't know exactly where he is now, but uh, I think he was um, also an analyst on one of the Marlins networks. Yeah, I the think, Marlins too. Yeah, for a bit of time. Yeah. yeah. So that's he around that time he started floating around more, and a lot of people were wondering if he was going to be the replacement for Greg Zahn. But it ended up being um, Joe Siddle who moved from the the radio booth, and uh, it just it that seems like how it occurs. And if Josh Tolley keeps appearing. You have to imagine there's going to be a job offer coming. Because um, think about it, like you said, Mike Wilner was let go, and um, they they they've clearly stated that they want someone with MLB experience. And there's been really nobody else that have sh- has shown up as frequent as him lately. I know it's the off season. I know it's light with news right now. But Josh Tully's been the only guy that is um, the only guy that's been around Sportsnet right now that's not part of the network. So it'll be interesting to see. And I would I'd be fine with Josh Tully. Um, I don't know the exact role he would be. Um, I don't know the exact role that he would have in the the booth if he joins the radio booth. If he joins, like you said, maybe he goes back to the 
uh, table with Jamie Campbell on Blue Jay Central, and then Joe Siddle goes back to the radio booth. There's all a whole bunch of possibilities, but Josh Tolley would be an interesting one, and uh, I don't think any of us are against that one. So that'll be that'll be cool. But um, yeah, before and then I guess even I wanted to mention too with the minor league system, it's really cool that I think that they they're um, they're maintaining a connection with um, uh, maintaining a connection with Vancouver, and um, for Vancouver, it's um, it's cool because at first it was um, mentioned that they were going to go to Oakland, and then of course at the time Mark Shapiro was denying it on interviews, and maybe I guess they made some sort of last minute arrangement because Lansing is now going there. But I like how they're maintaining a connection with Vancouver, and I think it's even more cool that they're becoming the high A team now. Um, I, they get you know they get a better quality or better level of minor league baseball in Vancouver, so I think that will be very attractive to Vancouver fans and I guess other Canadian fans around the game and other players who love or either other fans who love prospects and you know for us we kind of somewhat followed the minor leagues as well because just of the system so we're a little bit familiar with it I wouldn't say I'm an expert at it but I do like checking in on it every once in a while and I think it's it'll be cool to to have them and of course Buffalo will remain a triple-a New Hampshire will remain double-a and I'm sure Mark you're happy with New Hampshire staying put um, and I guess depending on where the Jays play, who knows where the Bisons play next year? That's again a whole different topic. But we, you know, we we do know that minor league baseball is expected to come back. Uh, we and then of course a lot of teams had to make some overhauls and changes. But uh, it's it's cool because minor league baseball, of course, it suffered this year. They had no season, and you can you can feel for the players who couldn't play. And you need players to develop. You need players to play at the minor league level. So hopefully everything returns this year for the minor league system. Of course, it won't be normal because of. The cuts the Jays had to make, but or to make, but at least they will have um, affiliates that remain other than AAA and AA. And of course, like you said, they have Vancouver now, so that's always a good thing. And Dunedin will always or will remain a um, an A ball site. I think it's low A now, so no complaints there. And I'm just happy they got to maintain a connection with Vancouver. Okay, so before we wrap up, one kind of last thing that I I wanted to bring up was during this week, the kind of the lack of baseball news kind of brought light to. The comments by Tampa Bay Rays owner Stuart Sternberg, and he basically came out and said that the Tampa Bay Rays, towards the end of this decade, want to split time between Tampa Bay, at least uh, Tropicana Field, and Montreal. I'm going to assume uh, with the Expo Center or Olympic Stadium, that's what it's called. So they want to, or at least renovate it or build some, some type of new stadium and basically split time between that. You play half of your home games in one of those stadiums and half of them in the other. And it's just, there was an article, a variety of articles, and, you know, this was posted all over Twitter and Instagram and whatnot. And basically, he said that, I quote, this is the only option for Tampa Bay, or for the Rays at least, to split time between these two fields. And it just, I'm going to be honest, I kind of snickered when I heard this because it just, it was one of those kind of crazy ideas, not crazy ideas, but it's just, it's an idea that I thought, how how is this going to work? And the more I thought about it, there are kind of viable options. If you want to literally have two home fields, you could, you know, first of all, you have to define what uh, or the point in the season that you're going to to move everything because I highly doubt that the team's going to have two completely separate facilities. I mean, they're going to have two separate buildings, but, you know, maybe during the All-Star break, you go to, you know, you make the trip from, you know, the bottom of the U.S., which we all, we have to kind of remember that, you know, you're basically going from one, the southern part of the United States up to relatively a northern 
portion of uh, of Canada. And I mean, Montreal is about, I think, five to six hours minimum of a drive from Toronto. So that, you know, that's, you know, they would have to kind of bring everything there. And I mean, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to put this much effort into making Montreal a home for Tampa Bay, why not just relocate? I mean, obviously, one thing we've seen is Tampa Bay unfortunately doesn't have the greatest crowds. I mean, we even saw against the Astros, I think it was 2019, you know, the, the crowd was relatively empty, uh, in the, even for a playoff game, whereas, you know, a Blue Jays spring training game in Montreal was sold out, and, you know, we can remember Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s home run sounded like he had just won them the World Series. Like, and so people clearly love baseball in Montreal, and I mean, ever since the Expos moved to, to Washington, there's been kind of this this itch to have baseball back. And I think it would, it would be cool to have baseball in Montreal again, but I think just relocate. I, it's just completely because it's just going to overcomplicate things because, you know, how do you, what do you do in the playoffs? You know, do you just abandon one of those stadiums or do you, do you go to, to the United States to reduce travel? You know, how does this work? Uh, also, I should mention this, this is a plan towards the end of the decade near 2028. So it's not like it's an immediate thing. But still, I think it's a good idea to want to use Montreal, but I don't necessarily think literally splitting time is the right thing because, you know, think from the player's perspective. They need, you know, two separate homes uh, or maybe, you know, who knows what they do with hotels or, I don't know. It's just a very complicated thing. So kind of, do you guys, what do you guys think? Is this a, a good idea? You know, is, well, is moving to Montreal a good idea? And then kind of, if you are going to move to Montreal, is it a good idea to do it in this fashion? Or do you think that, you know, just a straight up relocation is a better idea? We talked about this a year ago on the pod. I just looked it up. It was June 2019, episode 45. Wow. This idea is a travesty. It it does not make any <laughs> sense at all. And it's not like it's made more sense in the year since we last heard about it. Like, it's just so stupid. Why would you... Right now, where you play right now, St. Petersburg does not want to build you another stadium, right? So the owner of the Rays is saying, okay, instead of playing 81 games in St. Petersburg, we're going to play, or yeah, we're going to play like 40 games in St. Petersburg, 40 games in Montreal, and we're going to get two new stadiums. So we're going to half the number of games we're playing and double the amount of stadiums we're getting. And then we're going to I, I guess travel between them, play half the season in one place, half the season in another. And like you said, players are going to have to have two homes or they're going to have to stay in a hotel half the season. It just, it's a, it doesn't make any sense. It's so stupid. I don't know why it's still being talked about. You know, if you want to move the Rays to Montreal, sure, that makes sense. The Rays are not a viable team in Tampa Bay. There's a reason why no one comes to their games is because, and, and, Frankly, no one goes to Marlins game not games either, even when they win. It's because baseball, I feel, maybe this is a controversial opinion, but baseball doesn't really work in Florida. I, I don't think it does. I don't think there's a lot of baseball fans in Florida, and that's why the, the two teams we have there are not successful. So move the Rays, sure, but don't split half their time between Tampa Bay and Montreal. It just makes no sense. My views on this have not changed since we last heard about it in 2019. It is so, so stupid. Well, also, you got to think, would they just have two home openers? Like, you have a home opener in, you know, late March or April, and then, you, you know, do you just have your 
second home opener in August or, you know, how, how does that work? It's just, it would, it's such a complicated issue. And I think that the fact that this was called the only option just makes it a little bit weirder. Like if you're exploring it, sure, but it's just, uh, it's just such a weird issue or weird topic. Okay. Um, so I remember my opinion. I, I'm pretty sure I was against this in June of 2019. And I have to admit, I am in full support of this no. idea. I think that this would be no. really cool for baseball. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to say, how cool would it be if the the Jays and the Montreal slash Tampa Devil Expos, or whatever you want to call them, would be both in the AL East, unless there's some sort of relocation or a division realignment, because... Of course, the Expos were an old National League team. But anyways, I just I think it's the only way right now that baseball gets close to seriously being considered back in Montreal because I don't know how uh, how long an expansion is from. And of course, uh, another city that Montreal would have to compete with in an expansion would be Nashville because Nashville is trying to get an MLB team right now. And that's the only uncertainty I have with this. And the fact that COVID, because the owner flat out said the pandemic has not changed his mind at all for it. Maybe it's delayed in a few years, but pretty much by the end of the, the lease at Tropicana Field, which is 2028, they want to split time in both markets. And if you give Montreal a chance to build a stadium, if you give Montreal a chance to, you know, for their attendance, because Jacob, I know that um, I know that the the attendance now when you go to a Jays or when the Jays were in Montreal the past couple of years, um, it's been sold out. But unfortunately when they were before they moved to Washington, it wasn't good with the attendance. And that's obviously one of the reasons why they moved. So they kind of, they have to prove themselves again that they are willing to, uh, I guess, have a, a team, have a market. And down the road, if a successful split is more successful in Montreal than Tampa, then a full relocation could probably happen. And I think a full relocation is more likely to Montreal than staying at Tampa Bay in this point. Because obviously... One, I don't have to. See, you don't have to see eighty-one games at Tropicana Field. Instead, you can see half of that, which is like forty-eight or something like that, or forty-one. I I can't remember the exact number, but it would be cool. It gives Montreal the time. It gives them a chance. And like I just, I like the idea. I, for a player, I would hate it though. Obviously, you have families. What are you gonna do? Um, but for a fan, because I, I am a fan, I would love this idea. I just, I would love to see baseball back. In some sort of way, if it's, what do you want to call it, a full season and a half of two Canadian teams um, in the MLB, I don't know what it is. I just, my opinion has completely changed, and I think this would be so cool. And maybe one thing, too, is just for, like, hockey fans, for the NHL this year, they're doing an all-Canadian division because of the border shutdown. And that just gets me excited for when I think about Canadian teams playing each other. I just think it'd be a, a really cool rivalry if the Jays and Expos we're able to play each other unless, like I said, there's some sort of division realignment, but there should be some sort of way that each year they make sure those teams play. Uh, Cause that, the course, the Mets and the Yankees find a way to do it each year. Like the, the subway series, it, it, it'd be cool if they had a Canadian series or something once a year. And I just, I love this idea because at least they get to prove themselves by starting at, I guess half a year, because who knows how it would start. If you pro you would probably start in Tampa uh, because of the weather, and then maybe later on the season or the second half after the All-Star break or whatever it is, you go to Montreal. It's just really, it's innovative, and I, I like it because it's not, it hasn't been done before. And Mark, I know you're, you're probably losing it because I am completely in disagreement. 
I just, how do you not love this? That you can possibly have less games at Tropicana Field, more baseball in Canada, and it gives you the chance for the future that, like I said, I think it's more likely that there's a full relocation to Montreal than them staying in Tampa full-time. And Rob Manfred has said that Montreal could easily be a standalone market, but the problem is there's been, I don't know how serious Montreal has in building a stadium, but if they build a stadium, that is one step closer and at least you can start by hosting half of a season, and you can somewhat prove to Manford that this could work. Because again, the Expos left Montreal for a reason. But ever since the Jays have returned there each year in the spring, like you said, Jacob, the, the games have been sold out. And Mark, I think you've been to one a few years. You went a few years ago. How cool would that be? Just late in the season, I don't know, take a road trip to Montreal and watch the Jays play. I just, it's it's exciting. I don't know why, but. The, like I said, the half and half is definitely innovative. What would the team be named? Like, would the team change names halfway through the year? How does it work for marketing? There's a whole lot of hurdles that uh, are ahead, but I just I love this idea of possibly spit, uh, splitting time because it gives Canada more baseball. But uh, I'll let I'll let you respond, Mark, or even you, Jacob. Yeah, well, I'm not denying how incredible it would be to have a team and another team in Canada. Like that that obviously be amazing. You have a fun rivalry. You have um, even just a possibility of a road trip to Montreal, like that's awesome. I'm not denying that. It just doesn't make sense to ha- do this haphazard way of splitting your team's time. It's like just commit to the bit. Like j- just say like okay, like baseball in Florida, in Tampa Bay, and St. Petersburg, it's been a failure. We've been here for what 25, 27 years now. It hasn't worked. We never get any fans. Let's just move. Like if. If you're going to say that you can't sustain your team by playing only in Tampa Bay, then just give up. Just move entirely to Montreal. Don't say, oh, we're going to try to keep people in St. Petersburg happy, by, but then move to Montreal to test out that. It's like, no, baseball teams don't work by just like, traveling around to what city they think they like they they don't get just get to choose the flavor of the month and then decide where they want to stay it's like commit to the bit if you don't think baseball is successful in tampa bay move on don't just split your time between tampa bay and another foreign city just move on that's my problem with this yeah i 100 percent agree i think it's just it's such a complicated thing you know how, one of you i can't remember who it was but somebody mentioned marketing you know are you the Expos for half your season? Are you the Rays for half your season? Uh, and then even looking in the, the playoffs, you know, I said, uh, <laughs> it's not even that bad of a name, I mean, at first glance. But I don't know. I feel like if you're in the playoffs and say you don't adapt that, say you're, you know, you're the Rays or you're, uh, you're the Expos, you know, you're one of those teams. You know, if you're playing in Montreal for the playoffs, how does... Are you just, did the Rays just not make the play? I mean, technically the team that played as the Rays made the playoffs, but it's just, it's so confusing. And like you said, Mark, if you're going to commit to wanting to play in Montreal, just, just play there. I, I, I like Bryson said, to be fair to the spring training games, they are exhibition games. So who knows if an entire season or at least 81 games would be sustainable, but I I don't know. I just, I'm, I think it would be at least semi-sustainable I think also you know a good team would bring in more fans in order for there to be a big crowd you need a good team and I mean we've seen that with the Blue Jays I mean 2015 or 2014 even early 2015 even the last couple of years uh, the crowds were pretty bad because the team wasn't very good and I, I, I don't know I think 
going back to Montreal is a good option. Uh, but it's just in this fashion, it's just, it's just I don't I don't like it. Um, one thing that would be interesting, I don't think the rivalry between the Blue Jays and whatever this team ends up becoming would necessarily change because I doubt they would leave the AL East because, I mean, if someone like Nashville gets a team and, you know, de- depending on which league that joins, uh, the AL or the NL, you know, I think Major League Baseball wants to kind of keep it 15 and 15, you know, because, I mean, first of all, Montreal is in the same time zone as Toronto. I mean, the, the Canadians are in the same division as the Leafs. So it's, I don't necessarily think, they would stay in the East for sure, but I don't think they would necessarily go to the National League just because it would, I think it would complicate things just because they're already in the AL East and they just leave that. So it would be cool. I think you'd see a lot of games within both stadiums. Uh, I think, look, I'm a, I'm not against Montreal having a baseball team. I just want it to to be a fully Montreal team. You know, don't don't split your time because, like I said, like, T- Tampa Bay, unfortunately, they don't have the greatest crowds, and I've said this, you know, even look at Baltimore. I mean, we've seen a lot of, a lot of games where, you know, you would expect if it was in Toronto, it would be 50,000 people in that stadium, but they just don't have the greatest crowds, and it's just... I think that's the biggest issue. You know, people in Toronto love their baseball. I mean, even look at in uh, in Seattle when the Blue Jays play there, the the crowds are crazy. I remember 2016 uh, that game where Jose Bautista hit. I think it was a ninth inning tying home run, like with two outs or something, and it literally sounded like it was in Toronto. So Canadian fans definitely do want another team, but I don't. I feel like how, how do you? It's just so confusing. I want to see them stay in one city uh, or have one home city because I think that essentially is the best option. I don't think splitting between Tampa Bay and Florida is the the right idea. Yeah, let me just say Camden Yards, it's too bad because that stadium is so nice. And yeah, they don't get a lot of fans to begin with. And second of all, yeah, watching a a game, (laughs) watching a Rays game in 2020, uh, I, I made the joke with you guys earlier. I there was no difference watching a game in 2020 in Tampa than it was in 2019. Like I said, the artificial noise made it unrealistic. So yeah, uh, there's no one's argue. And Mark, you're right. It just it feels like baseball just doesn't work out in Florida. Uh, I feel like the the Marlins though. I feel like they're here to stay. I just regardless of their um, their success or not. I just I I don't know. I just love this idea. And Jacob saying you know the rivalry wouldn't be there. Yeah, you know I guess you're right. But I feel like it would be easy to build the rivalry up. Canada versus Canada, Toronto versus Montreal. And if you're in the same division, I feel like it could easily be done. But it's it's a it's a creative idea. It's something that's never happened before. And I don't know what it is with it, like who came up with it. But again, I just feel like if if a partial, I don't even know what you want to call it, like a, a partial season in Tampa and Montreal, splitting time, uh, it just feels like down the road it's going to lead to a full-on relocation from Tampa to Montreal if this happens. And I think, you know, Tampa, uh, Montreal, like, I feel like, or Rob Manfred is behind the idea of Montreal. That just, the problem is there's no stadium. And I guess, I don't know how serious Montreal has taken this in terms of potentially winning over Tampa. And, you know, a good question would be too, what, how would it work if the devil, uh, the, the, the devil expos, that's what I'm going to call them, made the playoffs? Would they go back to Tampa again? Would they stay in Montreal? Do they start the regular season in Tampa because of the weather and then move to Montreal? There's a lot of um, 
hurdles to uh, to sort out. But I just it's it's creative, and at least it gives M- Montreal a shot. You start with half a season, and if it works out, like I said, down the road, I feel like it would lead to a, a full on relocation, which is possible. And there's expansion teams or expansion markets that are interested in Nashville. I feel like Vegas has been thrown around a bit, and that seems to be like the new hot location for new sports teams. You know, a hockey team's there now. The football team's relocated there now. And I don't know how popular baseball would be in the, uh, in Las Vegas, but the, I guess that could be another potential expansion city. It just Montreal has competition now, unfortunately, and Nashville, there's already a group. And I, feel, I believe Dave Dombrowski, before he was hired by the Phillies a few days ago, was part of that group trying to bring a baseball market to Nashville. So I, I believe he was. And I just there's a lot of competition. And if Montreal can start off by share or hosting half a season and potentially, you know, impressing, it's 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 great for the future. And it it just it brings baseball back to Canada. It's maybe it spreads the game, you know, throughout Canada it gets more popular. There's two teams now. But you know that the half a season is definitely very risky. And like I said, if I'm a player, that's a serious problem because if your family, um, you know, if you have kids, like what's going to happen? Are they all jumping the border with you in the summer? And we're going to live in Montreal from August to the end of September, early October. Are we going to Florida from Montreal or the other way around? But, you know, both both markets don't have a, a good stadium. Uh, Tropicana Field is a complete dump. Um, Olympic Stadium is a complete dump. They both been um, they both are failures from when they were both uh, built. But the nineteen seventy six Olympics, there was a whole budget issue in Montreal, which led to that. But Tampa Bay, they just it feels like they've had so many chances to improve their market. They've had a team for this m- amount of time, and they still haven't made any changes to their playing. You know where they're going to be playing. We know that they came close to building a new stadium a few years ago. I believe there was already models of that or like pictures, and it just never seemed to happen. Who knows if the pandemic's changed that? And then, of course, Montreal needs to build a stadium for, I guess, them to be considered a serious landing spot, and they haven't done that yet. So uh, 2028 is when the, the lease expires at Tropicana Field. And so I, it's this is something that's probably five to ten years away still. But, Mark, I just I like it. It's, it's never happened, and it's a creative, innovative idea. And like I said... If it works out for you know a certain amount of time, it you have to imagine it, it leads to a full-on relocation because you know when both markets are popular, it feels like more success can be can happen in Montreal than Tampa. But of course, the Expos have had a team before, or sorry, Montreal's had a team before who were the Expos and now the Nationals, and it's like they have to somewhat prove themselves again that they can, can sustain this popularity because the Jays only play there twice uh, twice a year and you know, over a course of a full season, how would the popularity and the attendance work in Montreal is a question. But of course, I'm sure nothing can lose to Tropicana Field. Like I said, watching a game there in 2020 was pretty similar to a game in 2019. But innovative and down the road, it would be amazing for Canada to get another team. So, you know, the only thing that would suck for the Blue Jays is they wouldn't be considered Canada's team anymore. And then, of course, you'd have to debate it with Expos fans, which is cool. That's the only one marketing tool I guess the Jays lose out on is having being that lone Canadian team. But for the popularity, I think it gets it up, and I think more people would tune into a Jays and Expos matchup rather than the Jays and the Rays at Tropicana Field. I think one of the issues with uh, with testing, you know, half of the season in Montreal, I think that would a lot of it would would be because of two things. One, it would be the first you know regular season games in Montreal, and also 
it would depend on the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, I said this earlier, the Blue Jays, when they're not playing well, uh, unfortunately, they just don't bring a lot of people into the stadium. And I mean, even when they are good, uh, I mean, for the most part, I mean, 2017, they had a lot of sold out crowds, even outside of the summer months. But, you know, you look at uh, the, the, the earlier parts of the season, you know, the end of March, April, May. And I mean, even, you know, once, once you get to June is when a lot of people start to start to go to games more just because of, you know, busy lifestyles or uh, because maybe the Blue Jays weren't as good. I mean, 2015, they kind of struggled. Even 2016, they were not the greatest for the beginning of the season. So I think it's kind of, I I don't know if you can necessarily say that Tampa Bay or Montreal uh, kind of earned their spot by having a good, uh, good, uh, good turnout throughout the first couple seasons that they split time between Montreal and Tampa Bay just because like I said you know say the the Rays this year they made the World Series they were a couple wins away from a World Series I mean who knows what happens down the road I mean this is 2028 we're talking about potentially and that's you know seven to eight seasons depending on when exactly they decide to do this so are the Rays going to be a good team you know if the Rays are not a good team I, I still think they would bring out some fans throughout the first uh, the first half season that they play there. But I think in order to really test out the market, I think it's kind of, I don't know if shot in the dark is the right word or the right phrase to describe it, but I think you, you'd have to really play a full season and let Montreal uh, adapt to having a team back and you know let that team adjust to it. Because like I said, if the team is really bad in the standings, they're not competitive, then you can argue that they wouldn't have fans anyways uh, show up to a lot of games. But at the same time, you know, the it being a new thing that happens, they could still bring people in. I think it's just kind of something where you have to bring the team in and work on creating a competitive team and bringing fans in to watch a competitive team. Because like I said, with the Blue Jays, and I mean, really with pretty much any team, I mean, when the team is not competitive, I mean, there's a few outliers. I mean, the Leafs were absolutely terrible for you know, the beginning of the 2010s and they still brought in a lot of fans, but you kind of have yeah, to... Yeah, they're, they're the most valuable team yeah. in the NHL, according mm-hmm. to Forbes. I could I could be on the ice and there'll be a sold-out crowd. Like, it doesn't matter <laughs> for the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I mean. So there's like a few outliers, but for the most part, if, if you have a good team, I think people will go regardless. So you kind of, you have to, you have to build a good team and focus on that rather than the revenue, because I mean, revenue is important. And, you know, that that's how businesses work. But in order to get that revenue, you have to build a good team. And we've seen that with the Blue Jays. You know, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but the Blue Jays, when they're good, they bring in crowds. So that I think that's just the biggest thing. I, again, I'm not against a Montreal team, but I, I think in order to, to make this a, a reality, they, I think the owners need to be com- committed to being competitive in Montreal because then they'll bring in more fans. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. It's been a long episode. So thank you to everyone who sat with us through it and through our very heated opinions about the Montreal Devil Rays or Devil Expos or Ray Expos, whatever. Um, So thank you again to everyone who listened. Um, You can rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can, as always, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Section138Pod and stay up to date there as things progress during the off season and as we might run out of things to talk about um you can submit questions there uh for us to talk about on the podcast so again at section 138 pod on instagram and twitter so stay safe and we'll catch you next week
Dirty.